0: and welcome to another top advisor marketing podcast you know there are a lot of different ways to grow your business you can do marketing right you can do seminars you can buy leads or what you can do is you can buy a practice uh, in fact some of the advisors who i'm personal friends with that has been an amazing way for them to really grow exponentially and especially grow in a way uh, that allows them to scale exponentially and we have the expert in my opinion of all experts who is the ceo of succession resource group i promise you you have seen his smiling face on stages all over the country because david speaks all the time david grout jr is our guest today the ceo of succession resource group a per- person who i actually think is a friend of mine i don't know if he agrees with that but um somebody who i really look up to because he really is the person to talk to about mergers and acquisitions and so david welcome to the show thank you
1: so much matt and yeah happy to be here i too count you as a friend uh, great colleague here in the industry and frankly, I get most excited about the stuff you do with marketing as the fellow thought leader. I think you're a little bit like us or a lot like us in that I think you do what you do because you genuinely like doing it and certainly like the outcomes that it helps drive. But to your point, yeah, M&A, it's it's what gets us up in the morning. It's as good as coffee for us and our team. really gets us jazzed. It's, It's a game changer for our clients that they're on the buy or sell side. So no, we do this stuff every day of the week and twice on sunday not because we have to but because we want to
0: and david every time that we talked and when we've seen each other at conferences it's just there there is a level of joy and it's super awesome to hang out with people who really love what they do right i mean and that's not normal for some people you and i are just weird enough to uh really really like uh this opportunity now okay i don't know if i want to begin you know yes i do i want to talk i want to talk about the pandemic first so we we were preparing for this and we've got some couple of questions but i really need to ask you what happened with you during the pandemic was it good was it bad how did it change things let's start there today
1: well in terms of how i was impacted by the pandemic let's see i had three lovely children thrust upon me while trying to work full time so that went really well uh (laughs) <laughs> but fortunately everyone else was struggling with the same thing. More importantly, the work we do with mergers and acquisitions, I mean it was it's never the same thing year over year. There's always things that change. 2020 was that on steroids. I mean it was 2019 was a banner year for mergers and acquisitions. I mean you can see from the data that we publish periodically You can see it from our peers, DeVoe, Echelon. I mean, they published their data. 2019 was a great year. The high mark for the industry at that point on volume, multiples, January, February 2020 was more of the same. It was looking great. And then March happened and all of a sudden, advisors, everyone was distracted and busy with all sorts of other, unfortunately, more important things. And so... Deals we had that were in the final stages, somehow they held together, persevered, got it done. Fortunately, most of those buyers had a very, I think, sort of long-term outlook. Yeah, they were being disrupted. Everyone acknowledged that. But as you already mentioned, I mean, an acquisition done right, it can be a game changer, certainly the fastest way to grow your business. So they pressed on. They got those deals done. But if you weren't near the finish line, things got put on hold. Now, what I thought was most interesting, having a chance to look back and reflect on it, the total volume of deals in 2020 ended up being right where we thought it would have been, if not a little bit more. Unfortunately, it was just squeezed into like eight months instead of 12. So you had a really busy Q3 and Q4, you know, once the stimulus packages came through some of the SBA lenders you know, really started to pick up pace and loan, lending money to advisors. I mean, it was just a really, really busy year. And I thought beyond the statistics, which I think are you know, fun, I eat them up. It's nice to know where the market's at. But what I thought was almost more interesting was the folks who were getting these deals done, Matt, was how once the deal was done, I mean, that's where we sort of stop at that point. We've done the contracts. We have figured out the financing, tax strategies, all the fun stuff that we eat up. We're done. Well, at that point for our clients, the advisors, the work really just began. You know, Now, day one post-acquisition starts and they have to start onboarding and transitioning clients. That was the interesting thing to watch because there's not a lot we can do there, but for coach, advise and sit back and see how they handle it. And I think we were all at that point starting to become closet experts on Zoom and other digital mediums like this to communicate through, but advisors have been slow to adopt that, relatively speaking, in the past. And so I think the pandemic was great because it was a kick in the pants for the industry on technology. Like Now I get on these Zoom calls and if I don't have my camera on, they're calling me out. Whereas, I mean, in years past, we've used Zoom and other solutions like this for a long time. We would have to remind them, like, hey, by the way, your your camera's on. I can see you. Oh my gosh, you could tell they did not know that. But now they're using it for their client communication. They're starting to factor it into their transition plan. And all of a sudden, sort of the Apple cart gets upended, where it used to be, you know, if I bought your practice, Matt, I would the day afterwards, we'd send out a letter. We might follow it up with some emails if clients are used to communicating with us that way, and compliance will sign off on it. We would make a series of phone calls. We will set up a client appreciation event. We'll send out a newsletter. And then we'll rinse and repeat. And it was the same thing over and over again. But now using Zoom and these other mediums of technology, the clients are starting to accept. It's been really cool to see folks can actually interact more with the clients that they've acquired, have higher retention rates, but actually put in technically, I think, less work, less hours.
0: I I absolutely think that there are some great pieces of technology, which we'll, we'll explore a little bit later on in the show. And some of the things that you guys are implementing now, but but in the the pandemic, are you seeing now, are there more advisors who are like, man, I don't ever want to have to deal with that ever again? Are you seeing your numbers increase with advisors who are tapping out because they don't want to deal with this level of uncertainty and some of the things that they had to deal with? Or are you seeing the same numbers? Where Where are you at numbers wise now?
1: Volume is up significantly. And I think it is certainly partly what you described Matt that yeah, they just they've been through this a handful of times, market corrections, disruption in the business. I mean, it comes from lots of different angles and they they don't want to do it again and they were already within a couple of years of retirement, and so now they're pulling the plug on it and exiting early. Uh I think tax rates potentially increasing is certainly influencing that. So between taxes, between the reliance on technology, how challenging the last year was, you got a lot of folks who for years, and I know you've heard this before, Matt, where they say, you know what, David, I, I know you say I need a succession plan, but I actually don't. I, I love what I do, and I'm going to die at my desk. That is code for usually one of two things, or maybe both. One, it's code for I don't have a succession plan. And until I'm presented with a better option, then I plan to stay here and keep collecting my trails and fees. The other is they've spent 20 or 30 years building this thing and they finally got it to a really nice place where it's called an autopilot. Like I hate to say it. And if anybody is listening today from compliance, put the earmuffs on. But they're, we call them RIPs, they're retired in place. They're here, they're here, you know, Tuesdays and half the day on Wednesday and sometimes on Thursdays, but they're just more reactionary to clients. And I got to tell you, when, When you've been operating that way for a couple of years it's pretty nice and then 2020 happens and you realize all right no no i'm not doing that again
0: i I love i love the second example that you gave there that the retired in place it's taking me this long to get this far i i'm 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 gonna die i'm it's not gonna happen all right but what are you seeing so so in the world outside of the fact that you guys are busier than you know a one-armed paper hanger that your numbers are going up, that there are a lot of people who are concerned about all those things that you talked about, which are all, by the way, wildly legitimate concerns. The market has been screaming straight up. How long is that going to happen? Are tax rates going to go up? Is this a good time to sell a practice? I don't want to have to deal with that any uh, anymore. But what are you seeing as the biggest challenge for M&A today? Are, what, what, are, what are you Because you're a data junkie, and that's one of the things I love about you. Let's talk about that.
1: I think the biggest challenge is, I'll approach it from two different angles, but it's two different sides of the same coin, honestly, Matt. And that is from the buyer side, it's, it's committing and sticking with M&A as a growth strategy. I mean, everybody wants to or is growing organically at different rates. Inorganic growth is a little bit different beast. Like you don't generally just stumble into inorganic growth. Like it needs to be premeditated. It, it needs time and effort dedicated to it. Just like organic growth, if you really commit to it. I know, Matt, this is back into your bailiwick as a marketing expert. You, you got to commit. You don't dabble in this stuff. So I think from the buy side, that's the biggest challenge is sticking with it, committing the time, effort, and resources it takes. It's worth it, but you might be putting in effort for two or three years before you find you know, the right acquisition opportunity. And when you find the one... You look like a savant for having got it done. But I got to tell you, nine out of 10 people who want to grow inorganically through M&A drop out after year one of no results or 18 months in of no results or 24 months in of no results. When if they'd have just stuck with it a little bit longer, it, it pays off in spades, but it's like all marketing. You've got to build your pipeline and it takes a lot of touches. And you're also talking about trying to convince somebody to sell their business. I mean, it's their baby. Giving that thing up, it's it's giving up their income, clients who are friends and family at this point. It's, it's not easy. So I think from the buyer side, that's the biggest challenge is just frankly committing to it and sticking to it. On the sell side, it's being reasonable. And I mean, someday, I mean, Matt, you and I will be there when we sell our respective businesses. We'll be unreasonable. That's our job as a seller. But You've got to be unreasonable while still being somewhat reasonable, or at least rational. So many of these folks we talk to, what's in the best interest of their business, and by business, I mean their clients, their employees, and the other various stakeholders, what's in the best interest of everybody for that business probably isn't retiring in place. But when your alternative is, well, I want to get five times my gross revenue, well, sure, me too. But That isn't within the realm of reality. It's not where the market's at. And so it's just, it's having reasonable expectations when you exit the business. I get it. Like the old MasterCard commercials, it's priceless. But at the end of the day, the deal's got to cash flow whoever the buyer is, whether they're on your team already, they're a peer in the industry, or a big roll-up or consolidator. That's a pretty common denominator
0: we had claire aiken on the show a little while ago and i just recently did a webinar with her and one of the great i mean she's talked about her marketing resource that woman is amazing and indigo marketing agency one of the things that they do is they force their clients to create a 36 month marketing plan and that's exactly what you know uh, what we're finding and i know you're finding this because we've got a, a a new shared client but you know having MA be part of your marketing and growth strategy you need to and i mean 36 months we're talking minimum right you're you need to have a 10-year freaking plan everybody because if you put something like that in place and you look at this as a as a business not a practice you look at it as a business and how are you going to grow your business including buying a practice is such an unbelievable way to exponentially growth but what is the biggest factor david so when you're hearing And I don't want to talk about the buyer side. I want to talk about the seller side right now. So from sellers, what is the biggest factor in them saying yes to an advisor who's coming in to to buy?
1: I'll start really high level. And then obviously, Matt, you and I can peel the onion back one layer at a time. But I would say the biggest factor, I mean, obviously the big ones for most sellers are going to be price, the deal terms, and the taxes. Those are number two, three, and four on almost every single seller's list that we work with. Number one is, is the fit. I mean, they really, and when I say fit, what they're what they're looking for, because we ask this of every advisor that we help sell that we're representing, tell us about your ideal, what do they look like? Tell us about their firm, their size, political affiliations, gender. I mean, drop the PC and just give us all the facts and what they generally describe as themselves 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, they really, they just want to find somebody who can run the business the same way that they have because obviously that's the right way to do it. I mean, whether it is or isn't is a bit of an aside. It's, it's their baby, it's their business and what they have built, they feel works. And so for them, it, it's all about the fit. I mean, I keep, don't get me wrong. It's never about the price and Till it's about the price, but <laughs> you know, and it is. I mean, and they deserve every penny they get for it. They put years, decades into building this thing. But I got to tell you, we've had the opportunity to talk to our peers in other industries. We get a chance occasionally to work with other professional service practices, not in the financial services space. CPAs, attorneys. Uh, we've done freight brokerage stuff, pest control companies. I have literally never heard anyone. In any other industry, A, say that they love what they do and they're going to die at their desk. It does not happen. You'll never hear an accountant say that. They may die at their desk, but it's not because they love it. Or saying that they want to prioritize finding the right fit for their clients and their staff over the price. And what's really cool is they don't just say it in this industry. More often than not, I mean, we will literally put deals in front of them from great candidates across the board, don't get me wrong but we'll show them, you know, here's an offer, Matt, for your practice for a million dollars. And this is from who you said you thought was the best fit. But the number two candidate offered you $1.5 million, a half a million dollars more, a 30% increase over the best offer from the person you liked. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Occasionally they'll start to rationalize and say, well, you know what? Maybe I misjudged the other guy. I need to have another conversation. But Nine times out of 10, they will literally leave the half a million dollars on the table for their clients. You show me another industry where somebody is selling would do that.
0: Well, I sure, I don't know any. Yeah, goodness gracious. Not a chance. Well, now does, does purchasing a practice previously, does that put the buyer in a higher standing with the seller in your experience or either way?
1: I mean, I think that's a lot like asking you know, if if having a bigger firm makes you more valuable. Well, having bought before by itself, no. I mean, that's not the reason they would pick you over someone else. But what the sellers are looking for, I think, I mean, consciously sometimes, but oftentimes subconsciously, they don't articulate it quite this clearly. But you can tell from the seat that we sit in watching them evaluate their candidates, what they're looking for is the path of least resistance like they want somebody who's a good fit but let's say there's five or six of those well the guy or gal or team that has been through this rodeo before that they, they know what to say they know when to say it but you don't have to gain that knowledge through the school of hard knocks like you could do your research you could talk to your peers talk to folks like you and I get out have conversations network and you can get to that same point having never bought a business before but again, it goes back to your question on the biggest challenge. You got to commit to it and stick to it. And part of that, like you mentioned, would be a marketing plan. Like, how are we going to go find opportunities? The other part is trying to always be the smartest person in the room. That's why I think buyers who have bought once, twice, or 20 times before often end up getting the next deal because they've picked up all these tips and tricks. They know what to say. They never use the word seller. They don't use the S word. You're not a seller. Clients aren't a commodity. But they get all these little nuances having done deals, you know, even down to the price and the terms. You know, if the seller says they want a five times multiple for their practice, savvy buyer says, okay, I, I can make that work. But you know, the way I would have to make that work would be adjusting the terms pretty heavily. Are you okay with that? They always find a way to say yes. And so it doesn't require you to have bought a business before, but it doesn't hurt
0: now you just opened a can of worms my friend and i for some reason i've been saying that a lot on this podcast recently and it makes me very happy when when people like you do this because there's so much more there what are some of the tips and tricks i mean come on give our listeners some freebies here of some things that you've learned over the years besides the not using the s word what are some of the things that you have found really truly help uh, somebody win the deal and also have a successful transition
1: treat the seller like they are one prospective client. And by that, I mean, it's easy when you line up an acquisition opportunity that is a hundred million in assets. I mean, even if you're a big firm listening today, that's still a very nice ad to do in a year. But if it's a $25 million book of business, and there's a lot of those out there, really nice lifestyle practices run very efficiently, very lean. They make a great living they unfortunately have no ability to create an internal succession plan at $25 in assets because you just don't have a big enough team. And so what we see time and time again is buyers who, back to your earlier question of the biggest challenge, they commit to finding these deals. They're marketing, they're networking, they're consistent, they do it year over year, month over month, and then they find an opportunity and they screw it up because it's a $25 million book and they treat it like that. You know, when the seller says, Hey, you know, Matt, I think, I think we have a lot of chemistry, definitely something here. Do you want to grab coffee? And they say, Yeah, you bet. It's, you know, today's looks like it's the 28th. I'm pretty booked up this week. I'm out of town the following week. So maybe we could connect the week after when I get back. And the seller, the seller says, Oh, you know, shoot, I've, I'm pretty tied up that week. Next thing you know, they're scheduled to talk four weeks out. Buyer comes back and it turns out the sellers have four other conversations in the meantime. You got to treat every one of these sellers. Whether it's 10 million in assets or 100 and something million, treat them like it was one client. If you had a $25 million client wanting to set up a meeting, would you put them off three or four weeks? Hell no. You would move mountains. (laughs) You would make them feel like they were the number one priority. The problem is, I get it. You know, when you're buying a book that has 25 million in assets coming from 100 households, it, it isn't a game changer, but to the seller, this is a life-altering decision. And it's an emotional one. I mean, it's their, their business, it's their baby. And so I think you just need to give it the time and effort that it deserves. And that's why I say in in many of the other conversations we've had, podcasts we've had the pleasure of speaking on. This is one of those things, it's an owner activity and it requires you to commit the time. If you don't commit the time, then stay on the sidelines and allocate your resources elsewhere because. It's no fun playing the bridesmaid's role. I mean, ever, let alone two or three times.
0: So, with technology and this whole opportunity, the pandemic has has accelerated some much needed adoption of technology. And you talked about the rinse, lather, and repeat system that you guys have done in a long time. What are some of the other things that you are looking at for from for this year and years to come as ways to help advisors? communicate and, and mass communicate this MA space so that they can get uh, a higher retention rate and and maybe even gain a larger share of wallet.
1: The easy and most common one that we've seen people, I think, just sort of pick up, adapt, and adopt organically is now using tools like Zoom or GoToMeeting or join me, whatever it might be, There are variations on a theme. you notice I didn't say Microsoft Teams is that uh, they're They're using that technology to quickly and easily get in front of these clients and just start communicating the value proposition. It's also been pretty cool to see, this has been the last couple of years it's been developing, that advisors used to contact us or talk to buyers when they were ready to retire. And by that, I mean, they would have the conversation, they would negotiate the deal, but they were ready to go. I mean, If they could leave immediately they they would but they want to make sure their clients are taken care of and that it's a smooth handoff and so they would start the process usually 12 maybe 18 months before they really wanted to be gone full-time and those deals they work pretty well nowadays though we're starting to see more and more of these professionals heed their own advice and they're doing proactive planning and instead of being purely reactional They're coming back and saying, hey, yeah, I'll sell my business to you, uh, but I don't need to be gone for another three or four years. I want to cut back, but I'll still be here. And so they're using these digital communication technologies now, plus in-person meetings and an elongated transition timeframe. And the really cool thing to sit back and watch Mm -hmm. is where usually a buyer would call a deal successful, if they retain like 90 to 95% of that book, that was a win. Now when the seller starts a little earlier and works part-time for a couple of years and we can be communicating like this with the clients you actually see them start to grow by 15 to 20% mm. measured a year and two years out. I mean that's a it doesn't sound like a lot. I mean yeah, 15% growth is nice. The delta between losing 5% to gaining 15 that's a pretty big swing and when you look at the cash flow in these deals I think it's part of why you're starting to see multiples creep up a little faster than they were, is because when everyone's budgeting to lose five or 10%, you're pricing the practice based on that. When you can start pricing it based on conservatively keeping everything, it looks a lot better in the spreadsheets.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. And then part
1: of it is coming back to sort of you, Matt, with a question, because we've talked about this, but I, dabble in it because I get to be on this end of podcasts. I I don't host them, not nearly that skilled or ambitious. But I've seen and you know, you and I have talked about using this format in a little bit different fashion to maybe actually start using it for communicating the transition plan to the clients. And, And not just communicating the transition plan, but I think as you and I were talking, you were telling me about what you guys were doing, maybe even I'll go so far as to say getting the clients excited about the process.
0: Is that fair? Well, it is. I mean, we just do full disclosure for everybody <clears throat> after David and I talked a couple of years ago and I was like, look, man, there's, there's David and I are always trying to find ways to work together. Now his system is a little different than mine because he's hoping that my businesses fail miserably uh, so that I'll, I'll work with him directly. Uh, which 100%. Has, uh, yeah. Which has been a great joke for, well, not really a joke because he was very serious there. I don't know if you're I am. <laughs> anyway, so we were. So I'm like, look, man, I really like you. I, I just you. You've always been such a wonderful person. Let's find a way to work together. So we went to the drawing board, Kirk and I and the team, and we really sat down and 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 decided that we were going to try to build a product specifically so that if you are going through any major transition, whether that's a merger and acquisition or you're switching broker dealers or anything, that we were going to create a little bit of a package for it and. Is it okay if I talk a little bit about that? Because like, we're like official now, like I'm on your site and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's just such a cool new way for advisors, especially, I mean, we're talking about maybe a 65 or 70 year old advisor retiring, but the person taking it over usually has a much better, more firm grasp on using technology or they're certainly starting to. And so I feel like with so many advisors exploring podcasts and how they can use them for prospecting, this was just such a cool angle you guys applied, something we're all so familiar with, to something that's been, I don't know, just, I haven't seen any innovation in how we communicate this transition to clients. And it's such an impactful change for everybody that I feel like it deserves the time and effort, frankly, you guys have given it.
0: Yeah, and we're we're. I mean, you you were the the person that when when we built this, uh, we 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 have a a friend of ours who's a recruiter, uh, and then we have you in the M and A space, and we're like, we've got to figure that out. So so basically, this is the the long and the short of it. Everybody, it's it it's actually a mini series. It's a five part podcast that that we formatted very specifically to make it so that you can communicate to all of the existing clients in your book of business because there's a transition there that you should notify them that you are that you purchased a practice because they should be happy about that but it's also a great way to interview and be interviewed by the outgoing advisor to make it so that you can show the symbiotic relationship and why and in fact that's actually part of the system is why did you sell the practice to me and all of a sudden, you have this nice little package of five podcasts and 40 pieces of social media that you can use for, well, I mean, that's almost a year's worth of content. And when you're talking about growth, which David was just talking about, could you imagine how wonderful that would be to be able to launch the letter campaigns, the phone call campaigns, the client events, all of the things that are the standard things that you do in mergers and acquisitions and add something that will allow you to communicate a lot deeper of the the reasons why things are changing, really when you're sleeping. And so when when David said that he was interested in, in exploring this, this just made us very, very happy. And I want everybody to know that there are people who you can go to who are in this industry for the right reasons. There are people you can go to in this industry who really, as David said at the beginning, they get up to do what they do. And if you're thinking about buying a practice, or if you're ready to get the heck out, whether that's now or in three years, please, dear God, call Succession Resource Group, because they have a different approach. I believe it's a lot more human, but there's still all of the math and the statistics and all of the research that they do behind everything that they do. Um, I'm sorry, David, I didn't mean to turn that into a Entire commercial for you, but I really believe in what you do. In fact, you were the first person who I went to when I went independent uh, as a coach and a consultant because I have always been so fascinated by the mergers and acquisition space. And you were my resource, right? You still are my resource. And guys, if you aren't following him on LinkedIn and seeing all the reports and stuff that they do, dear God, you guys need to connect. What I miss, dude?
1: No, I think you're spot on. And to your point on social media, where we're pretty prolific and just pushing out content? Because frankly, one of two things will happen. Either you're listening today and you're sort of the DIYer, which don't get me wrong, and lots of venues I'm the same way. I'd rather you just have the right information and go do it yourself rather than try to figure it out without it because we keep it all confidential. And everyone else is going to look at it and say, oh, this is really interesting. I'm really great at being an advisor and I'm going to hire somebody else to do the part of the stuff that I'm not great at. So to your point, yeah, we push this stuff out because all we're really looking to do is just, Make the pie bigger. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, there's a lot of M and A happening, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, if you look at industry demographics, I mean, you huh. can just go to any conference. I just came back from one last week that were sort of knock on wood post pandemic. You stand in the back of the room, and it's no different than it was ten years ago when I started doing this. Half the room has white hair or no hair. I mean, that has not changed, and it's scary. I think our the ten year compounded annual growth rate for the industry this is across all of the different channels wirehouse, broker dealer ibd ria hybrid was negative 0.7% it was from a cerule study a couple of years ago i mean that combined with the lack of succession planning is terrifying I, you know i just hope that my career is done before that tsunami wave comes but i'll try to set our successors up for success but I love what you talked about in terms of you know using that podcast format, creating that year's worth of content, because I can tell you, and you could interview buyers and sellers that we've worked with, we always coach them. And I know you've seen our transition guide that we give clients, Matt. We, we try to frame it up and tell them like, you need to coordinate with each other and plan out, not a script, but you need to plan out those meetings with clients. Because as the buyer is sitting there and they've been introduced by the seller Buyer starts going through their process, what they're going to be doing with the client. And the client goes back and asks the seller a question, and you know it's coming. It's going to happen. If not the first meeting, then the second, or they're going to call. The seller has to intentionally say, you know what, Matt, that's a great question, actually. I was just talking to Bob about that, and uh, I should probably let him answer. He had a better answer than I did. As an entrepreneur and business owner, that ain't going to come out of your mouth naturally. Like We don't defer to others when we have the answer, but you have to. And so I think, and they're not great at that. I mean, none of us are, but if you're careful, you think about it, you plot it out, you can do it. But what I love about that podcast format is it's so premeditated, but in delivered in a medium like this, where it still feels organic, like the clients are just getting to listen to a conversation. And that to me is powerful.
0: Because when else are they going to have that conversation? I mean, the all of the outbound communication that has been around has been more them talking at you instead of feeling like you're part of a conversation. All right, David. So here's here's the thing, David. If, if somebody wants to reach out to you and find out more about the M&A space, what is the best way for them to find out more and potentially engage you with your products and services?
1: Easiest way, honestly, is to start by checking out the website. It's www.sessionresource.com. There is, as I mentioned, kind of like our social media profile, Uh, we've got a resource center there that has maybe not every article that we've written or been cited in, but it's a pretty good amalgamation of podcasts, webinars, checklists, white papers that we've done. It's there as a resource for you. And then the other one, I, I think most everyone we talk to is a buyer until they're a seller. They're at least interested in the topic. We also have our My Compass system. It's completely free. It takes a little bit of time to create a detailed profile. But that lets our listing team then come tell you about deals proactively, which is kind of nice. Again, to your point, Matt, on the marketing, a 36-month plan. I mean, go back to the biggest challenge. If you want to be successful with mergers and acquisition, it's going to take some time and effort in consistency. But at the same time, you can sign up on our site and we'll try to tee up a softball for you every now and again.
0: So that is SuccessionResource.com is the website. David Grau Jr. is where you're going to find him on pretty much every piece of social media. And make sure that you sign up and get all of their information. David, as always, brother, I, I love having you on the show. I can't wait for our past to cross uh, conferences coming up because uh, the, the world seems to be at least moderately coming back to normal, which means that you and I will be hanging out at some of the same conferences and we need to go out to eat or something.
1: You know, Matt, I'd say, I wish you well, but it'd be disingenuous. Again, I want you to fail miserably and come work with me. I love you, man.
0: (laughs) I love you too, dude. All right, everybody. Uh, If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, we hope directly on your listening device. And most importantly, make sure that you Follow David and follow everybody at Succession Resource Group to find out what's going on in the world of mergers and acquisitions because they are the resource. So for everybody at Succession Resource Group and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran, and I'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how you can be your own loud, Visit our website, read our blog posts, attend our educational webinars, and sign up for our new Influence Accelerator Academy, where you too can learn how to truly be an influencer in your space. Have a wonderful day.